Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, do you have any big plans to watch the uh, the Seahawks playoff game this weekend? <laughs> you have any big plans to watch the Seahawks? You're so rude, man. Is that how we're starting this podcast? <laughs> Did they make it, or, or is it just the Lions uh, from our podcast? <laughs> All right, I'm... I, I hope that Matthew Stafford breaks your heart next week and I can start the podcast that way. I hope you are just a shell of yourself next Monday. We'll see what happens. It's possible. <laughs> I mean, you don't have Sam Laporta. Well, hey, hey, they haven't actually ruled him out. Hyperextension, bone bruise. <laughs> yeah, those are known for, you know, six-day recoveries. They might be ready the next week after they beat up on Stafford and the Rams. You know, a hyperextended knee, what Travis Kelsey suffered in the preseason and he is still suffering from in week 18. Yeah, but they said 12 days, 12 days from when they announced his to when he played. Okay. All right. You know, whatever, whatever. Like, we're just ready to go. You you did luck out, though, with the perfect time for your Lions-Rams game because it's Sunday night. So that means you have time to watch JMU men's basketball against App State on Saturday and then drive home and be able to, you know, get a little comfortable and, and watch your Lions lose. I'm excited for it. It's a, it's a big basketball game. We'll be visiting three-notched uh, for sure that weekend, right? I, yeah, at some point, either pre-game, post-game. Depends on what time we can get in on Saturday. So we're missing out on first half Fridays, which is disappointing. But we'll be there Saturday. We're also missing Minuteman Mondays, right? Where you can get $3 Minuteman pours. We're missing Tuesday as well. Uh, it'd be nice if the work week was different, where you just got all this time off to go watch men's basketball, where you can get a half off a case at the Valley Collab House. But nonetheless, Three Notched, one of our favorite sponsors. We have so many, uh, but they're, they're certainly one of our favorites. And uh, excited to be there this weekend. And uh, with the NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered. With all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get in on the action and see all of the updated odds. Remember to use promo code BLEAV, that's promo code BELIEVE, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Bennett, what are you betting tonight? Washington or Michigan? Uh, I'm on the Wolverines. I'm so you are anti Dylan Morris is what you're telling me. I'll be rooting for the Huskies, but bet on Michigan. Okay. That's smart. That's smart. Um, and you know what else I'm betting on? The fact that Christopher William jewelers is both glamorous and laid back. 
There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and we cave can't stop talking about it can't stop talking about it and people can't stop talking about the fact that jmu has fallen out of the ap top 25 after a one-in-one weekend they had a seven-point win against louisiana the raging cajuns they didn't look too sharp in that game and then they backed it up with an even worse showing in hattiesburg mississippi against southern miss i mean is it hyperbolic to say that they're lucky they came out of that weekend one and one no, it was not great. They shot the ball poorly. You can question the shot selection, which I think a lot of fans were doing. I thought the major difference between the two games was like defensive competence. Um, I thought the defense against Louisiana was very good. I thought the energy was good. I thought they were in the right places and just overall played some decent defense. Southern Miss, it was not as good. They gave up more open looks. I think they maybe benefited a little bit from Louisiana missing a few open looks when they did get open. But Southern Miss felt like they are open quite a bit. Maybe that's Andre Curbelo finding guys. I don't know. But it was kind of a lame defensive showing. They missed a bunch of threes again. Just looked kind of out of sorts the whole whole week. Yeah, they, they lost to Southern Miss 81-71. It was not a good shooting night, as you said. They went 28 of 71 from the floor, which is 39.4% shooting. And then they went two of 17 from behind the arc. They were held to just 16 second chance points, just eight fast break points, which is really big because this is a JMU team that thrives in those fast break opportunities. They thrive in forcing turnovers and getting out on the run and getting some transition buckets. Didn't really get that a lot. Only 10 points off of the turnovers. And it was a game they were behind for, a lot of it. I mean, there was never really a point where it looked like JMU really had a chance to win. They had that good run in the second half, but you were kind of delusional. I think if you thought that JMU was going to be able to pull out that win just off of how they were playing, I, I was watching it on a, on my phone in a brewery and uh, I never looked at the game. and was like, Oh, this is, has been a good three minutes of game. Two players. I don't know if you have the stats up, but, but don't look at them. If you do okay. two players, Two players made threes against Southern Miss for JMU. Who Xavier Brown. No. Oh, against Southern Miss? Yeah. Who were the two? It wasn't Xavier Brown and Julian Wooden? No. Okay, I'm looking now. Jalen Carey. Yeah. And Noah Friedel. Shocking, right? Well, against Louisiana. Okay, they had five made threes against Louisiana. Xavier Brown had one of them. Thank you. Okay, I, I wasn't crazy. No, but just uh, surprising there, right? With Jalen Carey takes a three, nails it. I thought he was a, one of the few bright spots in that Southern Miss game. But just weird to go two of 17. They're kind of forcing some. But they also had a lot of open threes that they were just bricking. Um, and we talked, well, I guess, what, a podcast or two ago? We were like, wow, it's pretty amazing how many guys on this team are shooting, shooting threes. over 40% from three. Like, unbelievable. That's certainly one takeaway. The other takeaway that probably would have made a lot of sense was like, that's not sustainable and probably won't happen for a full season. So the fact that they have like sort of regressed a little bit kind of makes sense where you have a lot of guys now who are like 30 something percent three point shooters. 
you know, I think they'll bounce back to a certain extent, but you're not going to have like six guys in your roster shooting 40% from three. Yeah. But at the same time, like you had the open shots. Like, I think this was just maybe for, for me, my biggest takeaway was this was the first road weekend in Sunbelt play. Refereeing was very questionable. Um, was very weird. They let them be physical. And I think it took the toll on JMU, especially in that Southern Miss game when you only hit two threes. You, you, you start to lose your legs a little bit. Things start to go, I mean, the wrong way. Overall, on the weekend, they went 52 of 129 from the field, shot just 40%. But I think the real key was Terrence Edwards never seemed to find a real rhythm all weekend. Uh, Against Louisiana, Edwards went 5 of 11, 1 for 3 from deep. Against Southern Miss, he went 5 of 18, 0 of 2 from deep. So if you're keeping score at home, he went 10 of 29 on the weekend and just 1 of 5 from deep. And this is a team that, as great as Bickerstaff is, it seems, especially after this weekend, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this team goes as Terrence Edwards goes. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly part of it. And some of it's like team defense wasn't as good as it could have been. But yeah, I mean, if you got a guy taking 18 shots, he's not hitting a lot of them. It's, it's going to be tough, but he's, he's the guy who can create his own shot probably better than anyone else. So he's going to yeah. shoot a lot. So yeah, if he's off, it, it makes everything a lot tougher for you indeed. Yeah. So if you want to, do you want to talk about a little bit about that Louisiana game first, and then we can dive into a little bit more in depth into the Southern miss one, but went on the road, snapped the Louisiana raging Cajuns home win streak. Pretty good, right? Obviously, they didn't score that well, but I don't know. I was impressed with the defense and the fact that they like found a way to win when they didn't play well. It was kind of what what stood out to me. Yeah, and that nineteen to four run in the second half where Edwards and Bickerstaff like that two man action that was probably the the offensive bright spot of this of of that this whole weekend. They were lethal. They when they were combining and, and being able to kind of do their pick and pop action and just move that action towards the hoop. Good things happened. Uh, Friedel hit a big three late in that game to kind of ice it. And JMU did exactly what they needed to do to snap that, that raging Cajuns home win streak. Byington said after the game, something along the lines of, you know, we just came together as a team and it was a team win. And it was funny because there was a massive brawl after the game, <laughs> a little bit of scrapping going on post game, which was, was kind of funny. One of my other takeaways was like, Louisiana is probably going to lose a lot of games this year. No offense to, to Louisiana, but like they can't, rebound that the Dukes had a plus 15 rebounding margin, which is the largest rebounding margin against a division one team since last year, like beginning of last year. That's wild. That's it, a lot of rebounds. And a most of them. And there's a lot of second chance points, second chance opportunities, offensive boards. There was never a point where I was like, Oh, Louisiana did a good box out there. Wow. Louisiana is <laughs> doing a good job of getting this. No, it was always like, Oh, Jim, you missed it, and it went into a Louisiana player's hands. Yeah, they seem like extremely flawed. I would, I would say. So, <laughs> I think that was a good one that Jamie was able to sort of fight back and and get that one. And I know that Louisiana's got a, a much better Ken Palm right now than Southern Miss, which maybe you can chalk up to um, Curbelo's like late eligibility if you want. Uh, I just thought Southern Miss looked like a better overall team. Yeah, Southern Miss was also a pretty good team last year. Like, yeah. But for for everyone listening, Andre Curbelo, former uh, Fighting Illini point guard, was a good Big Ten player, 
transferred and then kind of the similar situation that women's basketball had with heaven bristow his waiver was denied wasn't able to play and then all of this stuff happening uh with the ncaa with lawsuits he is now playing so he just kind of got added back into the rotation as their starting point guard which is what they came into the season expecting him to be just about two weeks ago yeah so they're they're working him in he's electric in the sense that he can like turn it over a lot but can also score and pass really well i think he had a triple double the game before yeah so he's he's got some talent yeah for sure uh, and then like we said fell to southern miss was was this game purely just bad shooting or was it bad defense like i i guess this leads me into the next question that i'm going to pose to you here is it time to hit a panic button I guess not time, but like, are you panicked at all after this weekend? Are you like, oh, there are real flaws with this team? I don't think so. I mean, like, yeah, there are. I think like <laughs> defensively, they foul a ton. Like, it feels like they just can't stop fouling. Yeah. Um, like when, when they need a stop, instead of a stop, it's a foul. They're not even like making somebody make a shot over them, which is tough. So they've got to get better there. Now, that's kind of the one area they're they're not great defensively as they get lost and then they hack people. Um, so I think some of that you could probably improve upon with just like general coaching and, and whatever over the next couple months. I think they're a good team. They're 14 and one. Like I didn't think they were yes. going to go undefeated. You know, I'm, I think if you had told me going into the year, they'd be 14 and one through 15 games and have the wins that they have and play the way that they played. I'd be pretty pleased. So I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not panicked at all. It's just like, all right, you lost a game. Yeah, and I'm going to say that old cliche that you always say when you're trying to rationalize a tough loss. This is the wake-up call the team needed. <laughs> and, and if I'm being honest, well, I remember we were on the podcast last week. We did the three-notch weekly preview, and I said, this is a one-in-one weekend. And I Is that right? Saying, I'm going to go back say, and check that. I thought you were with me on 2-0. and Not saying I'm patting myself on the back, but I said the most JMU thing would be to beat Louisiana and then lose to Southern Miss. Um so not to pat myself on the back, but, <laughs> uh, but I mean, th th I think going into this next weekend, this is a big weekend against South Alabama and more specifically app state, both at home, each game that you win and you aren't, and, and, and you are undefeated. It just seems like the pressure grows and it's kind of nice that you don't have necessarily that pressure hanging over you now going into a home weekend that would have been a tough if it if you went one and one against this slate this weekend and that loss was App State that kind of stings that they would end your undefeated season like you said in football and basketball. But maybe it's good. Maybe you can take this. Maybe Byington can use this as kind of a a rallying cry. Maybe something that they can push forward with. I know that's cliche, and I know that's what every fan says when you're trying to rationalize a really tough loss, but. At least we're not FAU with losses against like Eastern Illinois and like FAU. I didn't realize FAU's losses were so bad. Yeah, they've got a few losses now that are piling up, but it, it does hurt a little bit in the sense that like they're probably putting themselves already on like fringe of the at large, where like the longer the undefeated season goes, the more realistic it is that they could get in without a Sun Belt championship. But there's a realistic possibility they rattle off another 14 straight wins. They could, they could, they just, the margin for error is, or the room for error, right, is shrinking. I think, I think we said the bubble, they would get in and, and let's see if we revise this now, because that's a quad four loss against Southern Miss, which isn't good. And we were saying that you kind of had to lose to App State, which was like a quad three, quad two type thing. 
So if you go in and you lose two regular season games and you lose in the Sunbelt Championship, are you in? Knowing that one of those three losses is a quad four. Is the Sunbelt Championship the fourth loss then or the third? Third. So you only lose two regular okay, season so you, games. Okay, you drop. I think it'll be like close. What, I don't know. What, what if the Sunbelt Championship loss is your fourth loss? I think you're done. I don't think you're in. Now, another what if, and this might be terrible podcasting, but another what if for you. What if you lose in the Sunbelt semis? And that's your third loss. But it's to app. That's possible. I feel like once you get to four, I think it's going to be tough because when you're looking for like quality wins, you've got like Michigan State and Michigan State. You know, like there's not a lot outside. You might of have that. Akron. That they might be okay, right? But like, where's Akron win. right now? Akron's ninety second in Ken Palm. It's not, and like that's there. also a home game, so that's a quad what quad three game. Yeah, and I think Kent State's a good team, but like, they lost to nearly three hundred Ken Palm Eastern Michigan the other day in overtime. Like, there's some stuff that they're doing that's not going to make it look unbelievable. Good. And then I think Southern Illinois is like a fringe top one hundred team, but that's not like oh, they beat Southern Illinois, like they got to be in the dance, kind of a win where Michigan State is. Yeah. So I think that worries me a little bit. Um, and that's that's a bummer. I know some fans are like, oh, it's way too early to talk at large. It's like, I mean, you like the whole reason you watch a college basketball team basically is with the hope, especially if they're a Goodman major, that they play in the NCAA tournament. That's yeah. like literally all that matters. Um, and like, of course, if you have a good year, you're going to say other things matter. But like truly, everyone's just playing to get into that tournament. Yeah. So another question, I'm just throwing them at you, left and right, left and right, left and right. Uh, do you still think that they're the Sun Belt favorite? Like, does this change your thinking that okay, they should still win the Sun Belt tournament? I think so. I mean, App already took a. They lost to Troy on the road. Um, so like, yeah, I still think Jamie is the best team in the Sun Belt. It just gets to a point where, you know. The at-large go away, but I still think they're a really good team, and they do have a chance here. If you look at like the February schedule, February on, those teams suck, like respectfully. But those—that's what I'm saying. If you pick up a win against App this weekend, you're looking at another. You're looking at a very good finish to the season. It's possible, and then I think the other thing that really stands out to me is they, um, in this next stretch, so they have one like true away week um in the next like month basically so it's going to be uh later in january they play at odu on a wednesday and then at app state on a saturday so a little more time to prep which is nice Uh, but those are going to be tough right you're playing odu which you've already played on the road once but a little rivalry there and then you play probably the second best team in the sun belt on the road and then until that they end the year though with four consecutive away games which will be a, a big challenge but you've got a stretch here where you don't have a lot of those, like, or any of those Thursday, Saturday road visits, which I think was really hard, where Southern Miss is kind of a unique team. You had one day to prep. You might have been tired. You're not shooting well. Like, it's a a lot of things go into it that made them probably play bad basketball. Yeah, and regardless, it is hard to win college basketball game. It is hard to win any college sport on the road. Like, it is hard. It's not like NFL or anything like NFL. I think the home field advantage and like being on the road isn't really all that bad, but in college it's tough, especially when I imagine they bust from Lafayette, Louisiana to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Did they charter a flight? I assume they bust. I would assume too, which 
that's a wear and like college away games are always tough. So that, that street, that four game road trip at the end of the year, looks a little tough. Here's a question for you. I'll fire one back at you. Hit me. They've never had a season under Mark Byington where they haven't lost. I'm wording this horribly, but every year under Mark by, I did way too many negatives. Every, (laughs) every year under Mark Byington, They've lost at least they've had a stretch where they've lost consecutive conference games. So his first year it extended into the tournament. So it was the last regular season game. And then they lost the first conference tournament game. And there's obviously some context there with Matt Lewis being out, but every year they've kind of gone on some of these stretches where they drop uh, last year, they had a three game losing streak at the beginning of conference play. Will they go through no. some belt play this year without dropping two in a row? I don't think they'll drop two in a row. Okay. Well, I mean, there. I, I think the only spot you might is January twenty mm-hmm. fourth into twenty seventh, ODU into App State. Mm-hmm. Other than that, your your weekend kind of duos are Kempom two ninety three, Kempom two fifty eight. You sh- if you lose back to back there, that's bad. <laughs> then then the next weekend, I mean, maybe you then lose to whatever it is. But how I'm kind of f- thinking about it in my mind is these weekend runs. Yeah. Then you got Arkansas State. Georgia State, 156-192 in Ken Palm. That might be tough. That honestly might be a tougher stretch than ODU App State. Ooh, that one, because of Ken Palm, is shifted. So it's it's um, Arkansas State, MAC Challenge, and then that next one. Oh, okay, okay. Well, So that could be a spot, right? That'd be tough, Arkansas State, and then whoever the good MAC team is. Yeah, but that's not back-to-back conference losses. Yeah, that's fair. Mac is. I, I don't know if I don't know if you knew this, but the Mac is <laughs> really different. Forgot, forgot my original question immediately. <laughs> what? What if? Yeah. No. I. No. I get. I, what yeah. if Akron... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, Bennett froze again. But then after that, Georgia State, Arkansas State, that might be your toughest weekend. It's in a way, and it's a home, maybe. And then you got 314 Georgia Southern, 170 Marshall, Marshall on the road, and that starts your four-game kind of road strip. But that's Georgia Southern, Georgia State Coastal. If you lose back-to-back any of these kind of throughout the rest of this year, I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think they will. I think this is a Dukes team that is going to, as cliche as it sounds, use this Southern Miss L and, and catapult themselves into another win streak. Will it be another 14-game win streak? Might they win out? Maybe their only game that they are not they are not favored in is on the 27th in Boone, North Carolina against Appalachian State. And Kempom has that as JMU being a one-point underdog, 45% chance to win that game. That's their worst percentage for the rest of the season. I mean, they got a couple 80%, above 80%, a couple above 90%. I just don't think this is a team that can nece- is poised to lose back-to-back games for the rest of the time out as Bennett rejoins us. I only ever have Wi-Fi troubles during the podcast now, which is incredible. Okay, so no back-to-back conference losses ever. I, 
I don't think I don't think they'll have back-to-back conference losses this season. Sunbelt's not good. That's true, but so we I think we assume Southern Miss is a stinky team going into that game. Yeah, we did, but like that that was historically bad shooting. Yeah, two of seventeen from three is pretty bad. Twenty eight of seventy one from the field is pretty bad. And you were still, there was a point in that second half where it was a four-point game and you had a chance to potentially take it over. Fair. That's fair. And also, can we talk about this real quick? Michael Green might have had his worst two-game stretch of his JMU career. He went two of six against Louisiana, 0 for two from deep, one of nine against Southern Miss, 0 of five from deep. He did not hit a three these last two games, and that is one of your kind of go-to knockdown shooters in big moments. He should rebound, you would think, yeah. And I think Friedel will too. Okay. I like that. All right. That brings us hopefully no Wi-Fi issues here. That brings yeah, us to this week's three-notched weekly preview after a road trip, two games on the road. Dukes return home for a games against South Alabama and Appalachian State. We'll start with South Alabama, coached by Richie Riley. They are 8-7, and 204 in Ken Palm. It's a team that is kind of has a one-two punch between their 6-3 guard and their 6-10 forward, Isaiah Gator and Julian Margrave. But South Alabama's defense has been a little bit underwhelming to start this season. They allow 53% shooting from inside the arc, and they actually have a pretty good three-point defense, but that might be more so because their inside defense is so bad that teams just decide to, you know, go down into the post and just play within the arc. Um, So this... Might be just a chance. Feed it down low to Carey, to bigger staff. Carey had a great Southern Miss game. And you let them go to work on the inside. And you you just kind of take your chances when you can from the three-point line. But this might be just a game you win from inside out and do it that way. South Alabama's offense leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, so JMU's defense might have an opportunity back at home in front of, a, I would assume, a pretty good crowd to start to build some momentum back up. What do you expect out of this game against South Alabama? Great matchup for JMU. I like this one. Not too worried about it. South Alabama's had kind of a tough season. Uh, you look at their wins this year, they really don't have any good ones that stand out. Uh, struggled a little bit here in some belt play at one and two. They can defend the three. That's sort of the one spot that looks like they're maybe hanging in there, but defensively they struggle uh, in a lot of different areas. Offensively, they haven't been that good, except they don't turn it over a lot. So maybe there's some things there where JMU thrives on forcing turnovers, but it just doesn't feel like a great matchup uh, for the Jaguars. I think this is one that JMU can win and win convincingly, especially at home. And then that takes them into the Appalachian State game where they take on Ken Palm 100. App State, they come in 11-4. and four. Uh, Dusty Kearns, Dustin Kearns, I don't know which one he prefers. He's their head coach. He's been there for a few years, and he's starting to turn App State into a real powerhouse within the Sun Belt, and they rely on great defense and kind of questionable offense. And because of that great defense and questionable offense, it's led to some head-scratching losses this season. They've lost to Southern Illinois, excuse me, Northern Illinois. Let me get my Cardinal Rose directions right. Oregon State, UNC Asheville, and Troy, all of which are quad four losses. So at 11-4, and you got to imagine that they need to win the Sunbelt Tournament, but we'll get to that when we get to the Sunbelt Tournament time. Key players to watch. I'm keeping my eye on Donovan Gregory, Trevon Spillers, and CJ Huntley. 
CJ Huntley is a 6'11 forward who has an offensive rating in the top 70 in the entire nation. And Bickerstaff and Carey, I don't think have really been or, or wouldn't for that matter, haven't really been tested from a by a fantastic big this season. And this may be their first big test of the year trying to slow down CJ Huntley. Uh, App State is a great team down low. They have the 18th best offense inside the arc and the 25th best two-point defense in the nation. So a real kind of flip on its head. You go from one of the worst teams in the nation at defending inside the arc to one of the best. And that's when you're going to need your Michael Greens, your Noah Friedels, Julian Woodens to step up and start draining things from behind the arc. What are your expectations for this App State game on Saturday the 13th? That's spot on. They're scary down low. They have 100 block shots this year, which leaves the Sun Belt. JMU, for comparison, has 53. They're swatting stuff. All right, so the Mountaineers are really, really good down low defensively. Uh, I think the offense is maybe a little underrated. I think it can do some some nice things, especially in the post. They're tough down low. A lot of this is going to depend, I think, on how the game is officiated. I think it'll be competitive, and it's one... If they let a lot go down low, then yeah, JMU is going to need not just like a better than 10% three-point shooting. They're going to need like 35% plus, I think, because if they're letting a lot of contact go down low, uh, it's very, very hard to beat App State considering they can block a lot of shots and they rebound quite well. And you saw what happened this weekend when things got a little physical when things tightened up in the inside the paint. Pickerstaff, Eric Edwards, they kind of took a step back. Gary, though, was great. Gary, five for five against Southern Miss. I think if they let stuff go, it's going to be an incredible game to watch because JMU has the strength this year compared to some previous years to bang down low with a carry and a bigger step. I also think given sort of the the rivalry between the schools, the fact that both these teams look like they're among the best in the conference, it could get a little chippy. JMU sort of like the last two games, I think they went two for two on, on chippy performances. <laughs> yeah, and one of them ended in Quincy Allen starting a fight as he was in street clothes and Justin Amati also getting in there. In street in there also, I love sports because of how just this might be a weird thing to say, how oddly sexual the words are that you use to describe. You got to bang it down low. <laughs> <laughs> there, There's going to be a lot of that, though. I would anticipate in this game. It should be the matchup. If you're going to watch like any Jamie men's basketball games between now and March, just watch the two App State games at least. And probably this one. If you're going to pick which one to watch, I think so too. This is probably if JMU wins this game convincingly, but if, I mean, if you get the next two, you go, go two and zero on this homestand. I think you're looking at, uh, you put at large conversation back on the table immediately. Okay. Do you get ranked again? They'll be close. They, they didn't fall as, as much as I would have expected to 28th, according to Shane Metlin. Yeah, 28th there in the AP poll. So third in receiving votes. They're close. If you, I don't know if App State has enough like outside of mid-major followers to like really get people's attention, but you win a few more in a row, you could get back in the top 25 pretty quick. All right. Changing gears over to the other side of the hardwood. JMU women's basketball, they pick up a pair of wins over the weekend in two kind of different ways. Against App State, they were down double digits. They had that good comeback. They ended up winning that game, just kind of wore down the Mountaineers en route to that win on Thursday. And then Saturday against Louisiana, the Dukes complete the weekend sweep of the Raging Cajuns, took them down. It took overtime. Uh, JMU almost tried to give that game away in the fourth quarter but then managed to get it to a 61-61 score, force OT. Then in OT, they kind of just took it over and, and just balled out. 
Hazel is a monster. She's been phenomenal. They're just kind of grinding out wins. And uh, that first one, that January 4th, whatever, when they go up against Arkansas State, I think the challenges there were the the names they were going up against. You look at Izzy Higginbottom for Arkansas State. Oh, was that Thursday win an Arkansas State win? Why did I think it was an App State win? Looks like Arkansas State, yeah. But well, you can just say app. That's hell's more street cred. You got just just unbelievable. Melody Kapinga to beat a team with those kind of names, I think, is big. But yeah, that was more of a gritty defensive one. Louisiana, maybe a little more offense. Carol Miller, UBA transfer, had a bunch of big buckets in that one. Hazel's been phenomenal. I think the interesting thing with the women's team is sort of what are they going to do with their depth? Because they're really, really deep, similar to the men's team, but um, might be harder to find a rotation and more challenges there with Bristow coming back and, and getting into the mix where I think the men's team sort of kind of knows like the rotation it likes the women's team, I would say is, is not there yet. So there's a lot of figuring things out that still has to go on the next month or so. Yeah. And that Louisiana game, Odekirk played a lot in the first half and then barely played in the second half and then started overtime. <laughs> it's yeah. They're really trying to piece some stuff together i mean there's a few players that like are gonna play mcdaniel hazel uh, and kozlova and then outside of that i think it's like a lot of players in that 10 to 20 minute range yeah hazel you tweeted this out earlier today on jmu sports news twitter x whichever you use in the three sunbelt games this season she's averaging 17.7 points per contest on 60 percent shooting 50 percent from deep and she is a mid-range assassin she loves the mid-range game. If the season ended today, Hazel would be having her career best in points per game, field goal percentage, rebounds per game, and steals per game. Just a, a massive step forward. I think she might be the team's best player right here, right now. Yeah, she can create her own shot, facilitate, rebound, play defense. She's a good one. So I think they're, what, they're 3-0 in Sunbelt play, and Bristow hasn't shot the ball well, really. So I yeah. think they're ceiling's pretty high it's not the toughest conference in the world interested to see what they do this weekend because they got two consecutive road games yeah gonna be a good weekend for the dukes and that brings us into this week's news or snooze presented by christopher william jewelers bennett will give me three quotes i'll decide if they're exciting it's oh wait there are three i'll decide if they are newsworthy or snoozeworthy hit me with quote number one all right this is from sean o'regan after the most recent win over Louisiana, he says, this is the women's basketball head coach for those of you unaware. I wish we had this beautiful. All age. right. <laughs> I wish we had this beautiful. I came off sassier than I meant. I just wanted it came to came out really sassy. I just wanted for those to of you don't the people. Know. I feel like sometimes I, we did so many Kurt Signetti quotes that everybody just knew it was coming, but this one we're going across sports. All right. So Sean O'Regan, I wish we had this beautiful eight, eight and a half, seven and a half rotation. We don't. What are your thoughts on this quote and him? I guess not knowing his rotation and then having the challenge of like, Hey, who plays, who doesn't I, play still in January. I think that's newsworthy because it seems like every year we kind of have this issue with women's basketball where it's like, why is, why are we still figuring out this rotation now? Like, shouldn't this be figured out? Like, shouldn't you, you got practice. I, I truly, I don't know what goes through, you know, coaches minds. I don't know how practices are run and everything like that. But at the end of the day, I feel like you should at least have some sort of vibe on who your best players are. I thought Byington was a bigger offender the last couple of years where they would roll like a lot of rotations and didn't have it all figured out or they'd have injuries that were throwing stuff off. The, 
there were still some questionable rotations in men's basketball too this weekend. Like there were some moments where you're like, why is Bickerstaff not in there? Yeah, there was there was a few, and then like Kerry was kind of cooking, and then he came out. Yeah, and you're like, uh, yeah. and and Xavier Brown and Randleman on the court at the same time. That was a weird one that I don't think they've used in a really long time, and I don't but... think they should ever use it again. Both of them have their strengths, and I don't think their strengths align on the court together. Yeah, it was weird. Anyway, but yeah, the the women's basketball one's going to be interesting to see what they what they do. There are also worse problems to have. It's like, yeah. how is UVA transfer Carol Miller going to fit in? compared to like having Bristow, the Ohio state, like it's a bunch of like power five <laughs> caliber yeah. players. You normally, when you're like, we only have three players that should be on the rotation where, how are we going to get like the fourth and fifth people in the rotation? That's a problem when you're like, we have too many good players. All right. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll figure it out. I think it'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Quote number two. From Mark Byington. This is post game to Dave. Who's Rickert. Mark Byington? He is the men's basketball head coach. Thank you. For those of you, those of you <laughs> dummies who don't follow along. All right. This is post game to Dave Riggert uh, after the Southern Miss loss. He said, This is not the biggest game of the year. We're just starting. This was a third conference game. We've got four straight at home coming up. News or snooze that he's, uh, I guess, not that concerned. He's not hitting the panic button. That's for sure. I think he newsworthy because I think he knows that an at large is going to be tough. Yeah. Like you can only lose probably one, maybe two more games, but then you're getting into real, like probably not territory. And I think he realizes that. And he knows that the end result, the end goal for this team isn't an at large. It is to win the Sunbelt tournament. And if that means you lose four more conference games because you're trying to figure something out or like, you go on a cold run, but at the end of the day, you win the Sunbelt tournament. It doesn't matter. So he's he's not wrong. That wasn't the biggest game of the year. You lost one. You were going to lose one. Figure it out, and you got four at home. If you go 4-0 and oh over this stretch, whoa, you're sitting pretty in Sunbelt conference play. You're sitting at, what, 7-1, and one, probably a two-game lead on the next closest team. That checks out, yeah. I mean, that, that's right. a big, that's a big stretch. I, I, he's also shout out Mark Byington for being the most level headed human in post-game pressers. Yeah. He does a nice job of just sort of being like, it's okay. We're Deflecting. Fine. Yeah. He definitely deflects. Our, Daniel Merriman asked a fantastic question about like the worry in a post-game presser about like last year, you guys didn't, you guys went 500 during this winter break stretch. How are you going to avoid it this year? And he was like, uh, actually we won three and lost three and it was actually, and it was just like, no, that's okay. Mark. <laughs> I love Mark. Okay. This is from this quote here is from that's a long quote. Yeah. Washington offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubbs. This is about Dylan Morris, Washington's backup quarterback who will be available for the Huskies tonight in the national championship game, but is then planning to transfer to JMU. So I guess the, the people had asked Ryan Grubbs, like, why, like, are you worried at all about a guy who's leaving still being on the roster, whatever for this long? And he goes, Dylan is the most loyal, toughest, hardworking player. He's a fantastic kid and a fantastic quarterback. I'm just really proud of the type of leadership that he's provided, even in these tough moments and these moments of transition. He's the first guy in the building every day. His preparation is second to nobody. I think that really takes a special kind of man. You got a little man crush on Dylan Morris. It sounds like it. 
I think that's newsworthy. I, I was shocked when this news came across that Dylan Morris was transferring to JMU because there was no real inkling. There was no real breadcrumbs anywhere. We weren't on the scent. I don't think anyone was on the scent. And all of a sudden it's there. You got this guy who was Pac-12 honorable mention in 2020 and then had a iffy 2021. But I mean, that was a, a year of turbulence for Washington. Jimmy Lake gets fired. There's an interim coach. The team's not very good. Just a lot of weird, not a lot of talent on the team overall. And then, you know, Kalen DeBoer comes in for Washington. He brings over Michael Penix from Indiana. DeBoer was an offensive coordinator in Indiana for a year with Penix. So they bring that over. That kind of continuity gives Penix the starting job. Dylan Morris battles, wins the backup QB job. And I mean, for it seems like everyone, every Washington fan loves this guy. Every coach loves this guy. He showed flashes of being great in 2020 and 2021. When Penix transferred, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Penix was the starter. Morris was in that that starting competition, and uh, it, it went into fall camp, I believe, and, and then Penix pulled away there. But I think Morris has the talent to really step in and be a Sunbelt Player of the Year candidate. He could be big time. That quote was from The Daily, which was uh, University of Washington's student newspaper, so good on them for that. And I read somewhere else, and I can't remember exactly where I read it, though, they were letting him skip like December practices, like leading up to their playoff game to visit Marshall. Like they very much like him, like the quarterback, right? Dylan Morris. They're like, Hey, yeah. you can visit Marshall, skip some practices, find a good spot for you. And like, whenever you come back, cool. That's awesome. Says, that's, I think it says a lot about like him and then their coaching staff that they're handling the, the process. Well, he seems like a good, uh, good culture fit. Good culture fit. Here's a question. News or snooze, Miami's added a transfer quarterback, one of the best quarter transfers from the FCS ranks. Houston's added a transfer quarterback, the transfer Zion Chris from Louisiana. Where's Jordan McLeod? He might be. The, the, the music is about to turn off, and you got to find a chair in this game of musical chairs. And, and right now it looks like McLeod's going to be the odd man out. I don't even know the exact status of certain openings. But, yeah, Houston seemed like – he was throwing up Houston like he was throwing up Houston signs like their recruiting sign. And then he was liking all of their tweets whenever they would announce a fan accounts for Houston. He was liking and then he started liking then they announced Zion Chris. Then I scrolled through his Twitter because I'm a, I'm a stalker like that. And uh, he was liking a bunch of Miami stuff and he had unliked a bunch of Houston stuff. It's unclear what's happening during this process, but it's it's weird. And uh we get in here that McLeod's been liking Chesney's tweets. To me, it wouldn't make any sense to have McLeod and Morris on the same roster. Morris um, has one year of eligibility, yeah, correct? And yeah. McLeod has one year of eligibility. There's no way Morris would sign up for like, hey, we have the reigning Sunbelt player of the year on the roster. Do you want to come to this G5? Because he could have went somewhere else where he had an obvious starting role. So I imagine he has an obvious starting role at JMU barring a, a change. I'm just, I'm a little sad for McLeod. Weird. I wonder if he like doesn't have one, if he chills for the spring and then tries to go in the spring again or what, what might happen. I don't know. That'd be weird too. Cause I don't know if JMU would sign up for that. Would that you think, would they let him back? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. I think once, I guess once he puts his name in the portal, right. You have to agree to have him. Yeah. No, once he's in the portal, he's gone. Like yeah. he's not a part of this team and you have to bring him back. 
Probably not. I think you're all in on Morris. Sluka. What if Sluka becomes available? Yeah, some talk about that too. That's again, like Dylan Morris is probably the guy. This is what we were saying last offseason, too. Remember when we were like, McLeod wouldn't have signed up to be the backup. And he didn't. He thought he was going to win out of camp, right? And then (laughs) lost it inexplicably. And then is the Sunbelt Player of the Year. None of that made any sense. If it had just been him from day one and he wins Sunbelt Player of the Year, all of that would have made logical sense. Can I recklessly speculate here? Oh, yeah. Wasn't, didn't McLeod like forget to sign up for a class or something early on? It is James like late to Signetti with his paperwork. There might be a transfer credit thing going on. I don't know. Maybe he's like seeking out NIL deals and he thought he had one with someone and then they found like a different QB in the portal. It's all very confusing. Uh, And one more recklessly speculative thing to say here. Kurt Signetti was saved by the universe on so many occasions with his quarterback decisions. Like looking back, remember when they were going to get Gunnar Holmberg and then his transfer credits didn't go over? And Gunnar Holmberg went on to be a bad quarterback, and then they got Todd Centeno. I think that worked out very well for them. I don't think Holmberg was, like, mobile either. And the other one, right, is, like, if you open the year with UVA instead of Bucknell, that's, a like, an, and it went the way the Bucknell game went. That's a loss. <laughs> so, yeah, there was some stuff that that broke Jamie's way, I would say, for sure. Okay. I'm done with speculative things now. All right. Over to football, Jamie football transfer portal update here. Jamie's been been slowly but surely very intentionally adding players in the portal. Dylan Morris a couple days ago. Io Adia, I'm going to have to learn his name. North Texas running back. He committed yesterday. George Pettyway, Pettyway. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to learn how to pronounce his name too. Transfer from UNC, former top 150 recruit coming out of high school. Shows some flashes in the running back room. Slowly but surely adding some stuff. So we're going to play a game, Bennett. Do you want to explain this game? Yes. So basically, I'm going to go position by position group. And you're going to have to tell me if the position group is better than last year. And portal season's not over, but better than last year, about the same or like, you know, clearly worse in your opinion. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll start in the offense here. Jordan McLeod. Presumably out. Dylan Morris in quarterback. We think we're better, worse, similar. I think better. Oh, better than the Sunbelt player of the year. Uh, do you want me to expand upon that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just keep moving on. I think McLeod was really good. And I think McLeod is still very good. I, I think McLeod was the Biggest example of Signetti being a quarterback whisperer with Tino Sinceri. That's probably fair. Like, I think Ben DiNucci and Todd Santeo had more just like pure skill. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was them being able to be like a good quarterback. I think McLeod had a lot of skill. He was untapped. He was raw. There was a lot of potential there. And it was more so what Signetti and Sinceri got out of him. I mean, this man was told not to throw a wheel route. And he said, all right, bet. And then threw a wheel route that almost got picked to go the other way to lose the UVA game. That happened. I don't know. I think Dylan Morris is better. All right. Fair might enough. be prisoner of the moment. Might be prisoner of the moment. I might be just living on highlights instead of low lights from Dylan Morris, but we'll see. I am though intrigued because Dean Kennedy in his first and only year as offensive coordinator for Holy Cross, it was a Sluka power run like, yeah. That type of quarterback draw team. 
and now he's taken on Dylan Morris and he's more of a pocket passer. He has some mobility. You compared him to Cole Johnson in that he's not necessarily the type that's going to run for a hundred yards in a game. He has that pocket mobility. He can get out. He can maybe run for a few yards here and there, but his legs aren't necessarily a weapon. It is an interesting kind of stark contrast. It's definitely different. And he's probably a little more comfortable to be honest with you moving around the pocket than Cole Johnson where like he looks pretty natural when he like avoids a pass rusher and maybe a little less panicked when the pocket isn't perfect so he does move around kind of well and do some stuff but yeah he's not like McLeod where McLeod could like get 10 yards down the field juke out a safety and then go for like 15 more I would not anticipate a lot of like 30 yard rushes he has 56 career rushing yards um, including sacks so he's not not a rushing threat necessarily but a good player so I I like that take Nova said this, Bennett, I think you mentioned it too. He, uh, yeah. Dean Kennedy got his coaching start in Florida with the Gators when Kyle Trask was there. So um, he has worked with other players similar to that in terms of Kyle Trask being not necessarily a mobile quarterback, but is able to avoid the pressure. Um, but it, it's just different. I mean, this is his second year as an offensive coordinator. Chesney also made a point in his opening pressers. David Teal asked him like his ideal offense, and he talked about assumption. He's like, yeah, our guy like couldn't run. So we like threw it a lot and had a traditional running game, which I think and we'll get to the running backs here. They might have a better chance of having a traditional run game with a pocket passer quarterback and looking more like a pro style-ish offense, perhaps. Yes. All right. All right. Running back. We've got some pronunciations here. Io Adei. Adei? Yeah. Adei. Okay. Adei. Okay. Yeah. North Texas had over a thousand yards on the ground last year. Quite the running back. They had a George Petaway, super talented North Carolina transfer. Didn't play a ton for the Tar Heels. I had it wrong earlier, and I quickly deleted my tweet. Uh, he, he averaged like 30 yards a kick return. I was like, this guy averaged 30 yards a rush. <laughs> Unbelievable. Whoa! <laughs> and then I saw it again. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Why don't you double check that? And I did. <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, but 30 yards or close to 30 yards a kick return. So he could be your starting kick returner. Uh He's a good running back, though. He's like a top 100 national recruit coming out and just got buried on a good depth chart. Uh, and then they also added Tyler Purdy uh, from Holy Cross, who was sort of a, a backup for them, running back two, running back three range. So wouldn't expect him to be necessarily a huge piece, but he's somebody who can get some carries um, and then be a third down guy if you need him to be. So they added those guys. Wayne Knight's coming back out of the portal. Wayne Knight is off the portal. Uh, but they lost. Prime, like the main guys, right? Kalon Black, Tyson Lawton, Latrell Palmer. And uh, Solomon Van Horse might come back. Yeah, it's kind of unclear on, on Van Horse. Um, I think the running back room is better. I think Io Adei might be one of the best. It might be like better than Percy. I mean, this is a guy who's right. averaged seven yards a carry for his career. He averaged about seven yards per carry last year on a thousand yards rushing. He had seven games last season of a hundred yards on the ground or more in comparison. JMU has had seven of those games since 2021 with, I think four of them coming from Percy. Yeah. This one feels like no brainer. Like I think they're going to be better at running back. Yeah. I mean, you got a, a, a bona fide running back one in IO a and then it's seemingly a great running back in George Petaway. And then if Van Horse comes back, 
he got a, a kind of a dynamic return game out of nowhere with Petaway and Van Horst. And then Wayne Knight, we don't really know how good Wayne Knight is. Right. I, I mean, and then there's a few other guys on the roster. I think uh, Sammy Majolani, I'm probably mispronouncing his name too. Malik Nagy or something like that, but yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Peyton Rutherford and Camarian Baldwin. Like, they got some guys. That's a pretty good group. And I think it's – it is imperative that the offensive line is good because yeah. no matter how good your yeah. running backs are, if they don't have any, you know, running lanes, they don't, they, they can't perform that well. Uh, and that brings us into the offensive line group. Yeah. The offensive line group is going to be an interesting group. So they lost some, some key players, right? You got Carter Miller transferring. You got gone. Nick, Kid, Nick Kidwell gone, gone. Who's the other one they lost on the, uh, uh, Tyler Stevens gone line gone. So they've added some, some players as well. Tyshawn Wyatt returned from the portal back. They, they got Jesse Ramel from St. Francis. I think it was. Yeah. Honestly, I thought that was a play to keep Elijah. Didn't work. <laughs> trying to get a buddy. Uh, Hunter McLean, a Virginia tech guy who didn't really play for them, but it's like talented coming out of high school, a bunch of years of eligibility left. And then Patrick McMurtry, who is a Holy cross player who played a ton uh, for the Crusaders, potential starter there. Those are your three offensive line additions. Same. I don't think there's much change. This might be a hot take. I don't think the offensive line was necessarily great last season. No, they couldn't get the running game going at all. Ever. Never. Never. And is it because they lost Nick Kidwell in the second game of the season, then Tyshawn Wyatt later in the year, and those are your two starting tackles who are like NFL caliber? Maybe. Probably. That's probably why. But you bring back one of them. McMurtry seems like a really good player at the FCS ranks. Does that then, you know, project upwards? Probably. I think if there's any position group that projects upwards, if you have the body type for it, you're going to, you're going to be successful at the next level. Uh, and, and Robo is still the offensive line coach and mm -hmm. Robo is a good offensive line coach. So I, I think they should be good next year from the offensive line perspective. I don't think they take a step backwards. Don't know if they take a step forwards. I'll be interested to see how good of a run blocking group they are, though, because last year's group could not run block and at times were That's overwhelmed right. in the pass game. That is correct. Okay. I am confirming some very important information that they don't want to put in their guy. That's fine. That's how things are. I'm assuming. Okay. So let's go. What to are receiver. you talking about? Let's go to receiver. Wait, what are you talking about? What are you whispering to yourself? <laughs> I was looking at Mississippi State's pronunciation guide. Oh, okay. They've only done about five players in from what I'm seeing, which is fine. You know, you do. I'm doing on a complete side note real quick. I'm doing Queens men's volleyball later today. Mm -hmm. Princeton does not have a pronunciation guide. That's and one of their names. I'm going to spell one of these names for you. And I want you to pronounce it for me. Okay. This is what everyone comes to the Jamie Sports News podcast for Princeton men's volleyball players. They do. Kyle G S C H W E N D. <laughs> one more, one more. Kyle mm -hmm. G S C H W E N D. I think it's Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know on, on the other part. I would just call him Kyle. 
Okay, I think it's just Nakai Pool, right? With I Nakai. think so. That's how I've been pronouncing it. I assume, but I, sometimes I like to, to... And as we all know, I'm very good with pronunciations. That's right. He's one of the, uh, I guess, the portal. I feel like you read some of the recruiting sites, or at least I was the other day, and they talk a lot about like potential versus production. He's a potential guy. Didn't play at Mississippi State, but was highly recruited by a bunch of Power 5 schools. Um, so Nakai Poole is your one current wide receiver edition. Losses, um, some names you might have heard of. <laughs> Elijah Surratt, Reggie Brown, Phoenix Sproles. Sorry, what'd you say? The <laughs> wide receiver losses, potentially familiar. Elijah oh, Surratt, oh, okay. Reggie yeah, yeah, Brown, yeah, yeah. Phoenix Sproles, and they've replaced that with Nakai Poole, who doesn't have any college catches. So what do you think? Better, <laughs> worse, or the same? I think you said this about Dylan Morris. He's a pocket passer. He has that pocket mobility. Who is he throwing to? Taji Hudson? <laughs> it's your guy, Omarion Dollison. I know. It's Omarion Dollison. I think Dollison, Taji Hudson. Uh, we'll see with Nakai Poole. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> probably got to add another name, right? <laughs> I feel like they got to add like another one or two wide receivers. I will say there's a lot of potential in that wide receiver yeah. room. A ton of potential. Now... How does that potential then turn into production? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. It is worth noting Taji Hudson uh, was the starting wide receiver opposite of Reggie Brown last season yeah. to start the year. So he must have shown enough in fall camp to beat out Elijah Surratt, who then went on to have a 1,000-yard season and was arguably one of the most impactful wide receivers of the last 10 years for JMU mm -hmm. um, in a single season. How do you replace that? You're replacing it with a quarterback turned wide receiver who played in like one game at ECU and then played in a few last season. You're replacing that with a guy who can run 22 miles an hour, who has one year of eligibility left in Dollison. You're replacing that with Nakai Poole, who was a three-star recruit, but was recruited heavily by power fives. We'll see, but I think it is a worse position group as of January 8th, 2024 than it was on December 22nd, 2023. I think that's fair. All right. Quick tight end, which is similar. They have not added in anyone at tight end and they lost Taylor Thompson breakout year. It couldn't be a Taylor Thompson breakout year. They lost Zach Horton. So I think no additions losing Zach Horton. Kind of <laughs> hard to argue. Yeah, <laughs> but it's better. But. Yeah, no, tight end bad. Tight end takes a step back. But I will say Kai Wright, Taylor Thompson, I think they're good. And who knows? Maybe there's a there could be a late – pretty much all the names that have come out like didn't post publicly about getting offered by JMU, so it's kind of a waste of time with some of those offers. Anyway, <laughs> um, so there's, there's probably some people out there we don't know. Switching gears to the defense? <laughs> we just switched gears. <laughs> that's good work all right defensive line worse yeah they lost so they lost Jalen green 19 and a half sacks was it 15 and a half jamry green yeah he did not have 15 and a half he did not have 19 and a half in eight games whatever he played <laughs> double chance 15 and a half. <laughs> you gave him 20 already you're one of those fans who are gonna vote him for the heisman <laughs> 15 and a half, would you say? 
I said 15 and a half. You can give him 19 and a half. You want to give him an extra four, just like if he was healthy, 19 and a half. Okay, who else did they add? I'm going to figure okay. this out. Well, let me do the losses. So they lose Jalen Green. They lose Chroma to graduation. Uh, Abby Nwabaku, Akonji. Right as I can get his name. Goes <laughs> right when portal. we got it. <laughs> it was three years and I got it. <laughs> Minnesota transfer. Now he's going to be the JMU transfer. Wait, say one go. more time. Abby Nwabaku. Akonji. Okay, you got it. Yeah, yeah. I've been um, saying Abby for a while, and then I realized I got the last name right, but messed that's, up the three-letter first name. Yeah, you were getting that part right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Transfer portal season is basically just pronunciation season. Um, James Carpenter left. Mikhail Kamara. Left. It's <laughs> a lot of really good. It's like a starting defensive <laughs> line. Left, so that's hard. Uh, they got Terry Lockett, <laughs> who's a Syracuse transfer, who sort of, I would say, falls in between that potential production range. Where he did a little bit for Syracuse. I think he had like three fumble recoveries, 25 tackles this year. Not bad. Um, but you would expect him to maybe take a leap there when he comes to Harrisburg. And then Eric O'Neill is my guy. Love this guy from Long Island. He yeah, had you were 44, hype on him. 44 and a half tackles for loss over the last two seasons. Unbelievable production for him. So I love those two additions, but they lost like four like of the Sun Belt's best defensive linemen. Yeah, I have no idea why I thought Jalen Green had 19 and a half sacks this last season. You were just like, if he was healthy, he would have pushed 20. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but yeah, I think the defensive line has taken a step backwards. I do like who they've added, and I, I would expect a few more additions coming in the next few days uh, ahead of the portal closing. I think this is enough, like, like the wide receiver group. This is a position group that has a lot of potential in that room. How does that potential turn into production? You still got Emmanuel Bush. You still got Amar Thomas, Tyreek Tucker. These guys got meaningful reps at the end of the year because of Jalen Green going down. How do they then meld during this offseason? How do they fit into the new defense? And how do they turn that potential into production? As of right now, it is a worse position group than it was last year. But if there's anything that we know about JMU defensive lines, it's they overperform expectations. Uh, I like that culture. The culture. Um, all right, linebacker. You lose Aiden Fisher. Bye. You lose Jalen Walker. Bye. You lose Torres Jones. Although I don't think he's announced anywhere, but presumably. He's still in the portal. Okay, so he's just like, he's wandering the portal right now. With Those the, are uh, your three I mean, best yeah. linebackers. And you yeah. add Jacob Dobbs. Yes. Holy dog. Dog. He is a dog. I think the linebacking group, you do lose your three best linebackers. I think Jacob Dobbs being added is huge. Yeah. And I think Trent Hendrick mm -hmm. has a potential to be just as good, if not better than Taurus Jones. And then if you somehow get Taurus Jones back out of the portal, probably not going to happen if he hasn't returned by now. Um, will be interesting to see what kind of happens there. I, I don't think this linebacking group has taken a step back. I don't know if they've taken a step forward. Because you lost a whole lot of production. You lost a Sun Belt player of the year caliber uh, defender in Jalen Walker and Aiden Fisher. It's going to be really hard to replace that type of production. But I think Jacob Dobbs coming in, he's going to be one of the best linebackers in the entire Sun Belt this next year. Uh, I think him and Trent Hendrick, you, you play that two linebacker setup. I don't think it's a huge, huge downgrade. I think this, this linebacking group maintains what they were last season as well. And Bennett has frozen. 
So it'll be very interesting to see when he comes back. Uh, defensive backs, I'll, te- I'll steal Bennett's thunder here as he is frozen staring ahead. Defensive back, they have not added anybody. They did bring Chauncey Logan back out of the portal, which is a massive, massive kind of keep because now you got Chauncey Logan along with D'Angelo Pons. Pons never left. And then on top of that, you have a big time, what is an Eastern Michigan defensive back that is seemingly leaning JMU because he'd love to play with Pons. So then all of a sudden you got a pretty good defensive back room. But you got to get a safety. Yeah, you got to get some guys. <laughs> this is a depleted room, I think. You got to do something here. I think this is where you're going to have the immediate movement, right? Probably defensive back. Immediate movement? Man, terrible time for Bennett to freeze. Again, as I'm asking him, immediate movement. You also graduated out Francis Meehan. You lost Q Reed. You still got Jacob Thomas back there at a safety spot. Uh, but overall, this is a, a defensive back group that I think needs a few more transfer additions to come in and make an impact on this team because it was the weakest position group a year ago. And they haven't added a ton of, they've retained talent. Like immediate which is like guys coming in. Bennett freezing is the most electric, electric thing. Uh, but I, I still don't know what what Bennett was trying to say. But that that so defensive back, they still need to add a few safeties. They need to add a few more uh, big time players. We'll be interested to see how the freshmen might make an impact. KJ Flow coming. Uh, he just he's going to be joining the team in the spring, so he'll have that spring ball workout to be able to grow within the team. Uh, and go from there, but we'll see. So overall position group quarterback, I'm going to be a little, I'm going to be a little bullish on Dylan Morris. I'm going to say that the quarterback group has gotten better from last year running back. I don't think it is. a. I don't think this is a conversation. Running backs have gotten exponentially better. You got a running back one, a bona fide stud in IO a date, a day. Tyler Purdy, a solid rotational guy. And then you got George Petaway, ton of potential. I, I really like where this running back room is going, like traditional run game. Offensive line, I don't think they've really taken a step back. I don't think they've taken a step forward either. You got Patrick McCurtry, Jesse Rammel, and Hunter McLean, uh, all of them joining with the team from the portal. You did lose Tyler Stevens, Carter Miller, uh, Nick Kidwell. So you did lose a good bit, but I think you added it back pretty well. Uh, Nakai Poole. There's a wide receiver room, like the defensive line, a lot of potential in that room. I'm not sure how that potential is then going to turn into production uh, moving forward. Yeah, I would hope to see, uh, if if we're talking my wish list moving forward, I I think I want to see another wide receiver added, another one or two wide receivers added, and defensive backs. I would love to just see kind of a run on defensive backs in the transfer portal to to build out that secondary. Cause I still am a little bit worried about, it. I think the two, I think cornerback one cornerback two are set. I don't know about the two safeties. And I don't know about like your cornerback three, your, your slot corner, your cornerback four and so on and so forth. As we welcome back Bennett Conlin, Bennett. How you doing? Eastern Michigan defensive back. Kempton shine has picked UVA 
as he has just announced. So they were in a, a oh, like like breaking news. Yeah, so he's uh he's out. That's oh, not I've why seen... I dropped off, but he uh he committed Alex, to UVA. Well, that's a bummer. That's a tough one. Starting to fall in love. It's like The Bachelor, man. Start to fall in love, and then you go one day, you visit somewhere else, and there you go. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Any other wish lists? Like what what are your positions on your They need defensive though? backs bad. <laughs> <laughs> like real bad. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Shine was one they had a good chance of, of getting based on the conversation with him but he'll go power five he'll play for uh play for uva does he know we beat uva it's unclear i'll i'll let him know yeah can you dm him real quick yeah by the way <laughs> we beat the team you picked <laughs> pretty interesting stuff there all right so that wraps up our transfer portal talk hopefully you don't freeze anymore as we go into listener questions we have a few questions from the comments uh tyler choate sorry tyler do you think any QB transfers out? We currently have five. Uh, Brett Griffiths, Billy Atkins, Alonzo Barnett, and Dylan Morris. And uh, I think one other guy. But JC Evans. JC Evans. Our guy coming th- in. I assume I think, that's what he means. I think there's a sixth, too. I think the other one is probably a walk-on, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do not think Barnett transfers out. I Billy Atkins, if he hasn't entered the portal yet, he's not entering the portal. Griffiths, maybe i think but probably not i think they're they're set with this group yeah if they do it i feel like they'll do it after the spring like if it becomes clear that like they're the qb3 or four and the ncaa is like pretty lax now on the transfer stuff then i could see somebody leaving but not the window's already closed so yeah if they do it it'll be in the spring um but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that I it sort of seems like they could all stay, especially with QB2 seemingly very much up in the air. Yeah. Who do you think is QB2 next year? Barnett. I do too. Man, Ben. <laughs> Get out. Impressive. Uh, don't most teams carry four on scholarship? It depends on, on teams, how they want to divvy up their scholarships. So if they have the guys, they'll have the guys with that being said, I wouldn't be shocked if one enters the portal post spring. And it's kind of like a conversation of you have a sit down with the coach and they're kind of like, you're not going to be playing. Um, Ian asked, how do we feel about McLeod? He's been liking a few of Chesney's tweets recently. I think McLeod liking Chesney's tweets is like when you're in a breakup and you realize you did the wrong thing and you're trying to get back in the good graces of the person you broke up with. So instead of just like coming to them groveling on your knees, you just like throw them a like every now and then. You might send them a Snapchat to try and show them how great life is so that like they take you back and it doesn't make it seem like you're as desperate. You know what I mean? Yeah, they think that it's hard to base a lot on his likes based off of the Miami. Based off his likes. Yeah. <laughs> hard to base anything off of his likes when uh, what we've seen. Yeah. 
All right, I'm trying to see if there's any other questions in the comments. Don't see any. Ben asked landing spots from McLeod now that Miami took the puff. Uh, we have no idea. Check his likes. No idea. <laughs> Check his likes, but don't believe what they say. Yeah, not at all. Uh, a few other questions. Is Byington going <laughs> going with jujitsu uh, or taekwondo training to help JMU men's basketball survive Sunbelt officiating? I guess that it's physical or whatever. I don't think like, I don't know. There was a lot made after the Southern Miss game by like Byington and them like, uh, you know, just so physical. They kind of cooked you too. And you went five of 17 or what is it? Two of 17 from three. Yeah. I think that's the main part. Like, yeah, you might not have played well, like inside the arc cause it was physical, but also like, also that, that quote that came out where Byington was like, the guys asked me to stop calling fouls in practice. Um, what type of fouls were you calling? Like the tickiest tackiest where they <laughs> he says, he says they wasn't included in the initial quote. I went back and listened. He says on offense. No, like I knew guy, what they meant. I knew what they meant. Yeah. Like on offense, you oh, like, you think he was just calling everything? <laughs> like, because like they're struggling to finish through contact. You're telling me that the second there was contact, he was like, but, bleep, bleep. they're also like fouling a lot when they're like, they yeah. won't, oh, they're letting everything go. No, they're not. <laughs> like, they're whistling you for everything. I think that was the issue. Well, at least watching it as a fan with fan brain on, you're watching like Louisiana just hack our guys in the paint, and then on the other side it felt like JMU was doing the same thing and then they were getting the calls for it. Maybe that's just me with fan brain. Which position group are y'all most excited about and most worried about heading into next season? Worried defensive backs. I'm worried about the entire defense. <laughs> position groups. Defense. Yeah, defensive, defensive backs. line, defensive linebackers, backs. defensive backs. They lost a lot on defense. Let's go through it. Jalen Green, Mikel Kamara, James Carpenter, Aiden Fisher, Taurus Jones, Jalen Walker, Chauncey Logan for two weeks. Then they brought him back so he doesn't count. Uh, Francis Meehan, Q Reed. Chuck Winnicki. Chris Chuck Winnicki. Devin Coles. Jerry's Remenik. Yeah, Remenik. Like the defense, except for (laughs) and Chauncey Logan and Jacob Thomas, Chauncey Logan and Jacob Thomas. But some of the, yeah, that's that's a lot to replace. Yeah, especially when they haven't done anything with defensive backs yet. Uh, Matt asked, which position group has the most internals step up versus getting portal ads? Still, I think wide receiver. I like that one, and I they did bring in a gazillion DBs um in the recruiting class so maybe there's like a true freshman who who can play safety flow there you go kj charlotte there there you go hell yeah all right anything else you gotta add no disappointed though to hear kempton shine was falling in love with jmu and it didn't quite (laughs) quite come together you took the bait that, that 80 percent crystal ball didn't show up. That, that didn't. That didn't I took the crystal ball, and it went against me there. Uh, yeah, that'll happen to you, folks. That'll happen to you. So for Bennett Conlin, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. Thank you so much for tuning into the JMU Sports News Podcast, presented by Bet Online. We'll be recording Mondays moving forward for basketball season, uh, recapping the previous weekend and previewing the week ahead. You can check out everything 
we have going on on our Twitter at JMU Sports News. And you can check out segments, clips, YouTube exclusives over on our YouTube at JMU Sports News over there as well. And uh, before you head out, be sure to like, rate, subscribe, whatever you may do, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. See ya. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.